On this Palm Sunday, we are in Matthew's Gospel. Before I read the scripture passage, I want to invite you to stand with me and let's pray the Shema together. This was a prayer that Jesus would have prayed at least once a day, especially before the scriptures were proclaimed. So let's, let's pray the Shema together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You can have a seat. Before I read the scripture passage, I want to hold before you the distinctions between guilt and shame and embarrassment. We feel guilty when we violate our own sense of right and wrong. Guilt is a warning sign that we've done something wrong. Shame is primarily a feeling, but it's always accompanied by thoughts like, I'm worthless, what's wrong with me, try harder, stupid, 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 or some other name. Shame says not that we did something wrong. Shame says we are wrong. And embarrassment, embarrassment is a feeling that we have when we experience that something is off, but we know it happens to everyone. That's embarrassing. This passage in Matthew's gospel is a story that you've heard before of Jesus and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Today, I'm going to do the best I can to sweep the shame out of this story. Shame does not belong in the gospels. It is not good news. It is very, very bad news. It's the voice of the accuser. It's the voice of the adversary. So be mindful as you hear this gospel passage about where shame might be triggered for you. This is Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Though all become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into this time of trial. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for a second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away, and he prayed for a third time, saying the same words. 
And he came to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When my middle child and her dear friend Kate were in preschool, they wore costumes to school close to Halloween for trick-or-treating and for a class party. These were some of my favorite costumes from their childhood. It was if these two are dressed as the superheroes they would become, Wonder Women. (laughs) And that Hawaiian grass skirt, I love that with the coconut bra over the white t-shirt. And I don't know if you can see it, but there are platform sandals on that child. Can you see those platform flip-flops? They used to sell those to parents, and we put them on our children. It's hard to believe. (laughs) We did. I did it. Both my girls. Those shoes, I think, play an important role in this story, I want to tell you. Alice and Kate had an exciting morning here at preschool, an exciting morning of trick-or-treating, of sugar highs and partying, and I was driving the minivan shuttle home that day. So I helped them at lunchtime carry their treats through the parking lot here at the church in these giant brown grocery uh, sacks of candy that they had. I put them into the car. I strapped them into their booster seats, and we took off in our invisible plane. We landed in front of Kate's sidewalk. And Kate was eager to tell her mom about the morning. So she jumped out of the car, she grabbed her bag, and she ran up the sidewalk. And you know what? She tripped. She tripped and she fell. All that excitement and that sugar weighted down with a heavy sack of candy and then those shoes. Poor Kate. She stumbled and she fell down. She skinned up her precious knee. There, were, there was grit in the palms of her hands and dirt on her cheeks. Well, I jumped from the minivan immediately, and so did Wonder Woman. And out the front door came Kate's parents. You know, you just simply don't blame a child for tripping. You help them back up, and you hold them. You tend to their wounds, and you steady them. The very first phrase of our scripture passage sounded like this. Jesus said, you will all become deserters because of me. What I need you to know this morning is that there is very little agreement among the English translations of the Bible on this particular line of Scripture. Jesus said, you will all become deserters of me, but there's also, Jesus said, you will all fall away on account of me. Or similarly, Jesus said, you will all run away and leave me. But then, there's, but then there's Jesus said, you will have your faith in me shaken. Or all ye shall be offended because of me. Or you will all fall to pieces. And then lastly, I found two versions of the Bible that say Jesus said, you will all stumble. You will all stumble and fall because of me. 
The translations seem to be at odds with one another, and that is the way it is with the Greek language. The Greek word used in verse 31 of Matthew 26 can be translated in many different ways. However, what I want you to know is that the commentaries are in agreement. They line up. Those who read and study the scripture and the Greek language go with the word stumble here. Jesus said, you are all going to stumble and fall tonight because of me. And then Peter in reply says, even if everyone else trips and falls, I'm never going to do that. This makes a lot of sense to me. The word in Greek is significant, and it reoccurs in Matthew's gospel. Jesus causes people to stumble in this gospel. Those from his hometown and the Pharisees, and even followers who have shallow roots. Uh, there, there's a story in Matthew's gospel, a parable that Jesus tells, where those who hear the kingdom message do not let it take root. Then they encounter trouble, and the gospel says they stumble. A lot of people stumble in Matthew's gospel. The way Jesus represents the kingdom of God is contrary to expectations. It throws people off. And his contemporaries simply trip and fall. These kingdom of God ways don't come naturally to us either. They are not for a lazy heart. We have to be intentional, don't we? We have to be intentional about forgiveness. We have to be intentional about not letting fear lead us. We have to be intentional about inviting the outsider in. These things... They're hard to do. They're almost like platform shoes strapped to our souls. <laughs> They're awkward, and they take time to master. Stumbling is inevitable. But stumbling doesn't make us a klutz any more than losing heart or running scared makes me a deserter. Years ago, my youngest was three years old at the time. And he quoted a movie that he had memorized during the Lord's Prayer in worship because one of the lines of the prayer triggered his memory, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then in the sanctuary service, Daniel called out, get off my property, you little trespassers. It was startling. <laughs> and thank goodness the people around me laughed. While you and I might categorize other people as deserters or trespassers, that's not Jesus' way. There's always a second chance. We just need to return one more time than we leave, is what Dr. Shia said in the video. Now, the Apostle Peter is a bit of a puzzle to me. My New Testament professor, Luke Timothy Johnson, said, that for Matthew's gospel, Peter represents all of us. Peter represents the disciples. He's not the leader of the disciples or the best disciple as we sometimes make him. Peter instead represents the best and the worst of the disciples, and he represents the best and the worst in all of us. He walks on water, but he also denies knowing Jesus. In this 26th 
chapter of Matthew's gospel, he says, I'll never stumble. I'll never deny you. And then he promptly masters the art of the nap. The garden where Jesus and the disciples pray is outside of Jerusalem. There were no gardens inside of the city. It was too crowded. So Gethsemane was located outside of the city, and it literally means olive press. And some think that there probably was a giant olive press inside of this garden. So Jesus says to Peter and to his disciples, come with me into this garden of pressure. Even in this garden of pressure, we can find that all is well. We can find that God is here, space. That's what prayer is for. That's what prayer does. Tells us that all is well and God is here. So Jesus' words, stay awake with me, it's primarily, primarily an invitation. It's not, a, not so much a demand. You know, I've experienced both. Stay awake as a demand and stay awake as an invitation. I bet you have too. A little over a decade ago, I traveled with our youth choir on a mission trip. My children were still pretty young at that time, and I was inexperienced with teenagers. We went to New Orleans. We stayed in a big church in the heart of the city. We slept in the larger rooms of the church in sleeping bags and on air mattresses. And the work was really hard, and the work was really hot. It was during the summer in New Orleans, and we were cleaning up after Hurricane Katrina. One evening, the adults and the group got word that some of the older teens were planning to sneak out during the night. As luck would have it, or maybe divine providence, a fellow mentor had military experience. Yeah, he was familiar with the night watch. So Dr. Clint Murray propped himself up against a wall, and every time a youth would raise their head to check the all clear, they'd lock eyes with Dr. Murray, and then they'd put their head back down until they all fell asleep. <laughs> Needless to say, I missed the action. I could not meet the demand. I fell asleep long before the youth did. Well, this is how the Garden of Gethsemane story is often read, as a demand that can't be met by the disciples. And this might be partly true, but there's more. I believe in the Garden with this Messiah, there is an invitation from a loving Savior to those who desire to see what he sees. When I was a child, my father got a telescope. A telescope is not much good during the daylight hours. So he would set it up at night on the front porch or in the backyard, and every so often there was something magnificent going on in the sky hidden from plain sight that it would be worth seeing through the telescope. So I would either stay awake to see what was going on through the telescope, or I would wake up. My parents would come and wake me up in the night to see what was going on in the telescope. When I did, it was worth seeing. This 
next, I think, is the Garden of Gethsemane. An invitation to see what's worth seeing. Jesus, in this particular passage of Scripture, is a model of prayer. He is grieved and agitated, the text tells us. Then he falls down flat on his face to pray. He prays as he had taught his disciples to pray, Father, Father, don't let us be brought into a time of deep testing and trial. But it's not what I want. It's what you want. And when Jesus wakes wakes up the disciples for the third time, he doesn't declare them to be incompetent. He doesn't call them lazy. He simply says, are you getting a good long rest? It's time for us to go. At the end of this passage, Jesus is resolute. As a model of prayer, at the end of this passage, he is determined to do God's will. God's will is not always the hardest. It's not always the hardest way or the bad thing. Sometimes I think it probably looks like that. It certainly does in Matthew chapter 26. But sometimes God's way is the easiest way. Sometimes God's way is a way that we haven't thought of yet. It's the third way. What I know to be true, what I know to be true is that prayer helps us to find God's will. Jesus showed us that. Richard Rohr writes, the will of God is seeking the truth of each situation in that situation the best we can. Determining God's will is seeking the truth of each situation in that very situation the best that we can. Prayer is the only way we can find it. Prayer is the only way that I can see it. It's worth waking up for. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Would you pray it with me? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.